like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Ruthie's Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. They always look like, what the? <laughs> he's quite familiar, isn't he? <laughs> oh, it's that guy. <laughs> Hello, darling. I can't say how many times when arriving in the River Cafe in a taxi, the driver will turn around to me and say, is this the restaurant where Jamie Oliver cooked? The other day, one even informed me that the River Cafe was owned by Jamie, and I thought, why correct him? He is a prodigal son, or the brother who knows that when he walks in the door of the restaurant, he is home. Like the old days. When was the last time you were here? I try and get here at least two or three times a year if I'm lucky. And I have to say, it's a bit like therapy, really. See Charles, which always makes me very happy. We normally go through the same old jokes and then crack on to a bit of new news. <laughs> Friends and family, but there's no. lots of nostalgia, isn't there? No, well, I think one of the things you always said is that you, you love the reset of coming back to the River Cafe. It's something you and Begsy always said. Yeah. Is you go Big out time. into the world and then it's quite nice to get back to your roots and taste a bit of that, get that River Cafe experience oh, yeah. again. It's like being home, which is lovely. Jamie came to work with us when he was just about 20, I guess, almost 30 years ago. Rose Gray interviewed him for the job and, as always, said it was love at first sight. Thank you, Ruthie. Wow. I love that. I remember the first time um, Rose <laughs> interviewed me. Tell me about it. Well, I, I had been working at the Neil Street restaurant for a year and a half and um, I knew it was time for me to move on. And I just read this book, the, the first River Cafe book, Blue, and um, it just, like, changed everything. It was like, it's like a moment, because just from a design point of view and a feeling point of view and the black and white reportage photos, mm. and mm. Oh, it was like fresh air, and I knew I had to get there. Um, so I phoned up, and I came in. I was quite skint, and um, I had my first suit that was a really cheap suit. Honestly, it was, <laughs> if it had gone near a candle, it would have gone up in flames so quickly. And I... I I turned up in a suit with a terrible tie because <laughs> my dad always said, like, make an effort. Wear a tie First to an impression. interview. Yeah. And I remember Theo, who was head chef at the time, and all the chefs looking around just thinking, like, he's in a suit. <laughs> What's he doing at the river? Because you don't really wear suits at the river. Even our customers don't wear suits. No, no. I know, so I really stuck out. But we, we definitely so bonded on, um, I think, ravioli was the, the place that we, we kind of connected. And then the rest was history. But. Yeah. Then did you come straight away? Yeah, straight away. It, yeah, straight yeah, and away. I, couldn't, I couldn't wait. And it was like, it was an amazing time because, it, you know, obviously you always look back in, in with romance, but it was an amazing time in Britain. And the River Cafe was like on fire and had come mm. from, you know, such humble beginnings, but was this extraordinary, unconventional 
restaurant doing incredible things run of course by you and Ruthie and the amazing team but you know Cool Britannia the music scene the fashion scene the photography scene the labor. art scene yeah. um, I remember cooking with you for you New Labour before they got yeah. in and during yeah. they got in and and, um, and I, I remember the Millennium Dome as a sketch yeah. on, on a tablecloth table and I remember it as a as a model that was yeah. just a few meters away from the pastry section yeah. while making chocolate nemesis yeah. and then i remember the real one and it's yeah. sort of wow. what year did you do you remember i was thinking i was 19 96? yeah i was 19 years old when i came yeah. here and i was i was so here that was 99 98 98 i think yeah maybe 98 yeah. And but then nice the memories election. when did blair win the election was it 97 and then, as you said there were the kind of excitement a kind of melding also of politics and food and as you say, culture and, and excitement. I certainly remember Rose calling me up. I think I was away, clearly, when you, were, when you came for your interview in the suit, or I would have remembered it. And she said, you know, Ruthie, this one you're going to love. Oh. This is, you know, this is somebody I was really so special. keen. I was so keen, and, and it yeah. felt like a family straight away. And I'd yeah. grown up, obviously, in a, in a family restaurant. I know. And my last bit of advice from my dad to me was, like, just whoever you work for, just treat their business like yours. And you haven't got one job. You've got every job. If the phone rings, picks it up. If your floor needs mopping, mop it. And, and I remember just sort of... Um, coming to the River Cafe, and it actually felt like a family, which is, yeah. is, actually, is more rare than... It's not that common, even no. now, in restaurants. What you and Rose were doing was so untraditional from what the kind of machine teaches. So yeah. I felt like I was being liberated. Well, your friend um, Ed Baines once said that, you know, when he came to work for us, he said, you know that song, I Did It My Way? Well, you should say we did it our way, and we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, <laughs> no. but it was. But it, we just knew that we were doing it our way. But you were right. Know? It well, was. I don't know. Right yeah, and wrong. No, yeah, we, because we I think of, what had happened is, uh, I mean, I, I feel like I can look at it objectively now. But like, yeah. training's fine, but it's it's for consistency, and you have structure, and it's it was very male dominant, and which is very testosterone mm. dominant, and to go from that typical training and typical kitchens to you and Rose was the most visceral, emotional, mm. uh, maternal, um, common sense, logical thing that ever happened to me, right. ever. And, and, um, and because you were you, I, I mean, I know you, you know what has happened here is special, but when you're an outsider coming in, it was, it was like someone had invented a new type of music. Um, and um, I remember the sheer worry of writing a menu at, say, 3.30, yeah. for customers coming in at six because yeah. normally you're trained to do like monthly menus and here we are doing two a day every day and uh, and I remember just doing the jobs list and um, I remember seeing like you'd have random people bringing in like overly Caesar mushrooms mm. and um, you or Rose just would say oh stop it. we'll put them on now and yeah. it's like but we just mm. put no now and yeah. like nothing every, everything was now and it was all about freshness and and that energy was. I remember. I remember thinking about crying for about three weeks. No. Not not because of you or, or the team, but just because of the stress of a new menu twice a day oh. was completely outside of what I knew. But then you get used to it, and I learned what you created was thinkers. Yeah. People that could adjust and react to seasons, and and everything that was happening in the industry was about protocol and structures and safety. Whereas we, I don't know, it was so exciting to have two women as bosses and owners. I think very male-driven kitchens, and I'm not saying this for any effect, mm. like are quite aggressive, mm. um, often flooded with drugs 
And it was quite scary. Yeah. Uh, and I knew those kitchens and I'd worked in London and abroad in, in things like that. Mm. So it was, you know, even when I come in today, you can see there's this lovely 50-50 balance. Yeah. Of, 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 you, and that's the holy know. grail, I think. I mean, yeah. I think if you skew one way or the other, you can get issues. But, you know, it's, um, but the thinking was so different. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it also helped us so much having chefs who worked in other kitchens because neither of us Rose did a bit with McNally's in, in New York and a bit with Carluccio mm. but somehow I remember the joy of having mm. you know young people who'd actually experienced other kitchens or yeah. contributed to us who taught us you know but the and, yin and yang of you and Rose was was really a precious one as well because mm. you're you crossed over in the middle but you had strengths on other sides yeah. and that was quite interesting to see great great partner yeah and yeah. I and I think you know like also having the open kitchen where yeah. there was that connection with the customer. Do you remember we used to answer the telephone and you know, take reservations yeah. when um, maybe it was before your time, but I literally remember. No, I remember writing it down. You know, it's a table for four, a table for six. You know, and then going back to kind of stirring the uh, polenta, you know, polenta. <laughs> <laughs> the telephone in my head. But if we go back, because you talk, you you spoke about your father, and you speak about you know. Um, the way you grow up and just even in the first five minutes of conversation he's present and he's telling you mm. you know whether it's to wear a tie or to be curious or to treat a restaurant in a certain way so why don't we maybe begin also a little bit at the beginning with the Oliver household yeah. so h how many siblings do you have I, I can't have one remember. sister Anna. one sister she's a year mm -hmm. younger than me yeah and so when you were growing up who did the cooking was it your mother was Mom, it your actually. father she did yeah she did I mean dad was a trained chef and mm. he'd started really young and also grew up in a pub that did mm. very good food did he? yeah his, well his father yeah the pub. yeah so this is third and they generation. still have the, yeah they had a, have a pub called the plow and sow in Pagglesham, which is in a mm. dead end um near the the river blackwater which mm. is where we used to get sea bass from ben's yeah. fish yeah. and ben's um, fish yeah oh my gosh yeah that is and west amazing. mersey oysters yes exactly, um yeah. so that's where dad grew up and I was born actually in South Ockington. Um, in, South what? In South Ockington in oh, Grays, Essex. So <laughs> right in the estuary of Essex yeah. and, and, and got wow. devastated in the war. And, and um, dad was the youngest license holder in the country at the time. Um, How so, old was he? What, what he? I, I believe he was Maybe. 17. No. No, I think in those days you could have it a bit younger. Oh. Um, I could, he was at least 18, but I think he was yeah. even younger. And then um, he had me at 20. Wow. So um, as soon as I was born, we got a tatty old pub that was beautiful in a little village called Clavering. Mm. And it was a 16th century pub. And I obviously grew up there. But Dad, I mean, I remember a few things that stuck out. So the chalkboards were daily. So that gave me some sort of connection with the River Cafe mm. changing daily. Um, the, the game was local. The fish was only on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mm. Lots of live crabs and lobsters and whole fish, whole... Um, animals coming in to be butchered he had a brigade I only ever remember a brigade of at least six on a shift and the pastry was a proper pastry of sort of mm. Anglo-French Swiss style That's desserts. quite ambitious yeah right? well I thought yeah. it was normal but of yeah. course even now it's that not is, normal no it isn't um, yeah. and you know typical would have been freezers full of stuff yeah. you could reheat and um was he trained Jamie was he he was trained yeah yeah, yeah. and he really I mean he didn't go to school much as a child mm. but mm. he got student of the year at South End College and went and worked in France as well so he was kind of he had a really good start but he he ran the pub and I remember little things like the head chef was paid more than he paid himself mm. and I remember as a child going well that can't be right mm. and he's like no no you could we've got to invest in 
the, okay. the quality and, and get the brigade mm. steady. And of course, these are all real things, but um, it had a bar side and then it had a restaurant side, mm. which meant there was slightly two tones okay. of cooking happening. Both with food. Yeah, and, and quite Anglo-French mm. cooking. So kind of things that you would get, I guess, at the Wolseley or kind of like rules, mm-hmm. you know, classics. Mm. So like simply cook game and beautiful Dover soles, you know, cooked how you liked it, but everything homemade. So that was, I just wanted to go to London for five years so I could learn some things, then come back and run a pub. That I was, remember, that was I the actually plan. remember you kind of very, really quite late. You were always really interested in the pub. Did your mother work there as well? Yeah, yeah. She so was a classic so landlady in the sense yeah. of, that's not like an EastEnders landlady, yeah. like it's quite a glamorous yeah. role and mum yeah. was very glamorous. All I remember with my mum, honestly, was she'd get ready for two hours, the smell of that um, hairspray from the gold ca- the gold canister yeah, yeah. and rollers yeah. always in yeah, rollers. rollers and then this and, and always in sort of like um, uh, 90s and then all of a sudden this outfit came wow. on and the hair was out wow. and then she'd go down about 8.15 perform maybe yeah. she wanted yeah. to be in the two theater. hours yeah. oh so hi Sally and, and yeah. just and, yeah. and just work in the locals and it was a busy pub and I think I guess in a sort of cheesy sense we went from a working class family to a classic middle class family right. in about yeah. 13 but years. But who did the cooking for you and your sister Mom. then? Yeah, how Mom. would she do that between rolling her hair? Um, and well, she, was, her she would do all the books, all the hire. Well, mum mm. would do the hiring and dad would do the firing. And, and often mum had to run after people that dad had fired to mm. rehire them because mm. he hadn't dealt with the problem <laughs> quite mm. right. But mum mainly did like classic things, really. Like, you know. Did you live in the pub? Yeah. Up, oh, right you upstairs. lived upstairs. Yeah. So, like, my bedroom yeah. was not much bigger than this room, which is wow. like, like two and a half by four. Yeah. Of course, it was 16th century, so there was gaps all around the edges. So yeah. every, everyone wow. smoked such a lot. Yeah. So, you know, um, it, it, God forbid I ever do get anything unhealthy with my lungs. But that, if it was, yeah. it was because I had passive yeah, smoking as a child. Yeah. And, um, wow. But, yeah, I mean... The, so you lived over... So would you... You had a dining room and a kitchen or... Uh, not really. There was, there was two bedrooms and a front room. But in the front room, we had a little table. So we'd, mum mm. would cook down in the commercial kitchen in between shifts. She would cook the yeah. dinner for you and your yeah. sister. Yeah. yeah. But they cooked well, and mum still cooks well today, and dad still cooks well. But dads, they're both retired now, which they did in lockdown. Yeah. Um, so you can, you can imagine living upstairs from this pub, having your parents, you know, involved in the kitchen. It was a rumble, always a rumble, 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 customers and laughter yeah, and giggling. Yeah, and it, yeah. And, um, but, of course, I worked at the weekends for pocket money. Yeah. Um, what did you do? I, I started up... Um, bottling up mm-hmm. which is replacing What's that well you go and look at the bar after a busy night and you look at all the empty shelves and you, and, and if you're lucky you can see um, little round marks where all the bottles had sat and you'd count them and oh. um, uh, and then you'd replace them and then you'd recycle the bottles how old were you when this was going on nine nine yeah 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 and I was in the wash up by ten um, and the wash-up involved a lot of veg prep, so not dissimilar yeah. to at the River Cafe yeah. when you're picking the herbs and, sure. and all the stuff. Um, and then I really wanted to get into the kitchen, so I was probably fully in the kitchen by about 11. Mm. And they had sections, so they had veg, starters, mm. mate, and, and they split. You'd have someone putting food in the oven, someone taking it out and mm. serving it, and then a pastry section. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'd, probably by the time I was 16, I'd done the rotation of the kitchen maybe three times. So... I remember having to d- develop a skill to teaching cooking, as in when I say teaching, like if you had a 21-year-old mm. come in from college to get a job as a, as a commie chef, mm. I'd be 14, 14 and I'd have to train him. Yeah, and just... obviously you, when you're 14, you haven't got a hair on your chin mm. and these 21-year-olds look like men. So I had to sort of develop a way of teaching without getting 
a slap. How would you um, do that? Um, make them feel like they were teaching themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and like teaching, like, well, are you left or right-handed? Okay, work from left to right. Okay, so this is this dish. And we prep this and prep that. And we put that, put that on ice and, you know, just mm-hmm. try and set it up for service so the service can flow. And I obviously, being young, I was cocky as well. So I often ended up in the freezer. Uh, um, I often ended up with like... Why? Because uh, I've been, I've maybe back. That would be but, like but somebody put you in the freezer. In the freezer, yeah. And actually. close the door and sit on Sounds it. Sounds like about the Shining. Minutes. It was a bit like The Shining, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm sure it was illegal. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure it was with love. Um, but uh, uh, I'd, I'd finish shifts and uh, take my jacket off, and there'd be clothes pegs with, like there'd be like a hundred clothes pegs and, and and a few signs saying very uh, unkind things. Um, Did um, your father know they were doing? Oh this yeah, I, I think he felt it was a kind of. Um, initiation of yeah. some description so of yeah. course by the time I'd, I was 18 I was well versed yeah. to um, stuff <laughs> wow I think that I do think that might go on now that we've I do, moved yeah, on I, I, mean, I, think, I think wherever you have teams and, and institutionalised sort of training mm. like, which I think kitchens have been mm. that there's, a, there's that going on and it can be for best or for worst I, I think it's you posted something with your your mm-hmm. team, mm-hmm. and it was very clearly a fifty fifty split of men and women. I reposted it because it's oh, so me and the, me well. And it the was so women. powerful. Yeah, yeah. The, the the balance is so important in a really happy kitchen, and if it's a hundred percent men, all yeah. hell breaks loose. And mm-hmm. um, you know, if you can get to twenty percent, that's amazing. Yeah. But um, 50-50 is is definitely the. I also point. think there is a feeling that I mean, it's something that I've always said that when people call up and say. Um, a journalist might say, wow, it's so hard being a chef. It's so stressful. And I go, it must be really hard being a journalist. You know, God, it must be so stressful. Because in a way, you want to take our profession and have it not be uh, different from other professions. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of myth that because we have to do you know, service so quickly or we have difficult mm. customers or chefs are yelling. That's so old-fashioned in a way. And now, certainly the young people who work in the River Cafe are just not going to put up with that anymore. But it's I think, just, we're over that. I think know? as a kid that struggled in school and as an adult now with kids sort of looking at where mm. AI and, and technology mm. and all the things mm. that are going to happen around learning mm. and how that's going to affect learning in schools in the future, mm. I think... Well, I can, I can thank you for a thousand things, but one of the things that was most precious that you and Rose taught me uh, and the institution, the family that you created, was how to think for mm. yourself. Mm. So that's really interesting because learning stuff is learning stuff and that's kind of what happens in school. Yeah. But problem solving and resilience and reacting to weather, which is therefore seasons, mm. which is therefore ingredients, which is mm. therefore the two shifts a day that, you know, yeah. like... It was really interesting. As a young chef, I would watch brilliant chefs come out of Michelin star kitchens and they'd go and do their own thing Mm -hmm. and they'd be doing versions of the same thing that they left. And if you look at the family tree that's come from the River Cafe, I mean, I guess Sam and Sam um, from Morrow is a really Mm -hmm. good first example. Like you can see River Cafe through their heart and their their soul, but it's they they did this incredible North African Amazing. sort of you know, and, and they not only went into restaurants, they opened pizzerias and sandwich, mm. but and they just did brilliant things, and, and you created thinkers, and I think that's different. Mm. I always tell people there's sort of two ways to run a kitchen: one is sort of through fear, and one is through family. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and. Family's a bit slower, but you get much more back in return. Yeah. And, and fear is very efficient, but you get so little yeah. back in the long run. Um, 
I feel quite passionately about yeah. that. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married yeah. at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation <laughs> yeah. that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. We create magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carly Chose was really interesting time for me because it was in the Neil Street restaurant designed um, by Terence Conrad yeah mm -hmm. and, and, and next door to the Neil Street I mean the Neil Street was famous for mushrooms mm -hmm. and late night serving because of the opera house um, the kitchen was hidden in the basement so you didn't see much light all day so you, I was pretty vitamin D deficient mm -hmm. um, and um, you know a Antonio was the the, the, the the wonderful character at the front door smoking a cigar having a little uh, little whiskey or something but not really in the kitchen um, but Gennaro was in the kitchen and he was an incredible drawer but he didn't work in the restaurant he worked in the very first Carluccio's deli mm. driven by Priscilla Carluccio yeah, yeah. who was Antonio's wife um, and that was really interesting because the kitchens were shared mm. and I did um, nine until three and then I did six until one in the morning. Every day? Every day. But then I Yikes. did a third shift, which was three until seven, um, with Gennaro. So I did a third secret shift. Um, and Is that how, how many hours? That was like from I was doing like 20 to, hours a yeah, day. 20 I mean, hours I was, but day. I was so young, I could do it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't do it yeah. now. But, wow. um, but I was only really there to learn from Gennaro. And, um, you know, I, I knew I just had to make bread with Gennaro mm, really mm, so mm. Um, I'd asked Antonio he said no so I thought well look if I'm here till one I can get the ovens on I can get the temperatures on I can weigh out all the flowers I can get all the kind of um, I kind of configured everything so he could work quicker mm. um, and because I thought poor man he's getting up at the crack of dawn every day so and I and one of the clever things I did with the bread was all the stale bread from that day they would um finely whack, uh, um, make into very fine breadcrumbs to dust mm. the trays with to get mm. a lovely crunch. Um, and I'd sack about 100 trays up to make all these different breads. 
and I draw little rude messages in there and sort of like say good <laughs> good morning Gennaro and just uh, just to befriend him because yeah. I didn't know him at that stage and as soon as we became friends he said oh don't worry about Ant- Antonio just come in yeah. but it was an amazing I mean the restaurant was great it was very traditional slightly northern yeah. Italian yeah. stuff but what happened at night was amazing like at, at four o'clock ding dong and there'd be 30 policemen that would come in and four in the morning yeah, before, four in the morning the four in the morning oh. and, and, and I get up there open them up there's police out here Gennaro let the bastards in I'm like oh okay <laughs> and all these coppers were coming but clearly Why? it was their home they I sat see. down as if it was their front room oh. they went behind the bar they started making espressos oh and yeah. we'd reheat the stale bread from the day before give them the stale stuff reheat it <laughs> and then we'd give them some like honey and some jam and, and they'd be very happy and, and they would <laughs> you think I'm making it up but yeah it was kind of that's Covent great, Garden. The great is, British Bobby, or whatever. Yeah, call yeah. Them. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's happened anymore. But um, <laughs> those sound like the good old days. Yeah, but they. I mean, they were very romantic, and I think um, Gennaro did give me a, a good base to tiptoe into the River Cafe, and but River Cafe really was where my heart was at. You know, one of the amazing trajectories was when we did a film called what was it called? A, day, a, a Christmas at the Christmas at the River Cafe, and that was a film that you know. Really, I remember, you know, you fried mushrooms, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, well, we did, um, I think, Porchetta and Rotolo. Yeah. And then I think um, I was on Hots 2 one Hots, night. Yeah. And um, uh, obviously I can look at it back now, sort of seeing, because you, you, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you were filming for a couple of weeks the, the, the show yeah. that you were making. And um, I wasn't supposed to be working that night. I don't know if I ever told you this. No, I don't know that. So the night that I was in the background of your your program mm. I wasn't supposed to be working I was off and my wife Jules um was off as well and she worked at the River Cafe on the front of the house we hadn't had a night off together for ages and the phone rang about four o'clock and one of the team had gone sick Jules you know with all the best in the world like yeah. <laughs> I had to come and put the shift in yeah. but that's when the crew was there and, and actually they were kind of in the way because I was mm. catching my tail because I was an hour and a half late for the shift to cover someone um, and I was running Hots 2 which as you know is one of your busier sections I'm mm. sure it still is now but it, it was is. it was Frito Misto mm. Taglatelli if I remember mm. with Giroles and um, Risotto do you remember? Uh, I do I do <laughs> remember and um, and the slow cooked pork of yeah. course um, yeah I I I didn't think anything of it. And the night it went out on TV, like many months later, maybe six mm. months later, possibly, um, I didn't know I was in it because <laughs> yeah. I was working. Yeah. But then um, the phones started to ring the next day, literally the next day. Well, I came in, I would say that I came in that morning and said, wow, Jamie, you did a really great, great thing with those mushrooms. You were amazing on television. And then the phone rang, and I can remember where it was. The phone used to hang up on a hook in the kitchen. Yes. Just when you came in, it was before we had the really open kitchen. And it was um, a call for you from Pat Llewellyn. Yeah. You came over to me, like, Ruthie, somebody just called me up and asked me if I want to do a screen test. What's a screen test? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should I go? I didn't know anything. And we yeah. didn't know anything. And then he said, Ruthie, a newspaper's called up and said, do I want to do a column? Can I go? We went, yeah. sure, Jamie. And then a supermarket is called up and said, <laughs> can I go? And I was saying, that within a very short time you had a column in a newspaper, a television show, an uh, a advertising campaign with a with this with a supermarket, and they knew they knew that you could do all this, and you showed them that you could, and you did. I mean, I, when I think about it, I mean, I, I remember when I had my twenty years anniversary, and, and mm. there was loads of people together, and, and 
to think that it it really genuinely does come back to that phone call at four o'clock saying, yeah. can you cover? What was it like from being a chef in the River Cafe? Who was around you? Who was protecting you? Who was guiding I didn't, you? Yeah, I didn't really have any protection um, for a while. Everyone was perfectly lovely, but I'd done the first book um, like I couldn't write or type. So I did it in dictaphone. The responsibility of delivering it uh, is like a, a nightmare. And then it was the Naked Chef the first book. Yeah. And so yeah. that was with the television show. Yeah. 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 And that was, it was kind of like a year later, hmm. um, at least. Um, it was because what happened was they pitched, they pitched like a little showreel to Channel 4 and it sat with them for like six months. And then um, they passed on it. It then went to BBC Two and Mark Thompson commissioned mm. it in seven days. So I think, like, you know, knowing what I do about commissioning now, I think there might have been a gap and, like, they probably had a BBC mm. sort of remit for representing a, a wide group of people and I was a bit younger, I guess. I'm making this up, by the way. Mm. I don't know. I have asked him since because he runs the New York Times yeah. now, doesn't he? No, he's left the New York Times. Um, oh, has he left? Mm. Uh, um, and he just said, like, you know, I, I think he just... He just said, I, I, took, I just had a feeling and I took a call on it. But yeah. that doesn't happen that often. I mean, yeah. and, and TV's not as, they're not, they're very risk averse. And normally if you're on telly, I mean, had we not come up with a naked chef, which is, I, I remember writing down what I would and wouldn't do on TV. And it said, you know, stripping down restaurant food to its bare essentials. And stripping and bear turned me into the naked chef, <laughs> which was, was that a, your was that your title? Yeah, well, I didn't come up with it, um, but yeah. before that, the working title was Forking Gorgeous. <laughs> so thank God, I think I mean both both were looking quite shady, but I think Naked Chef just got away with it, yeah. and, and probably more than anything, hit a moment and, yeah. a, and a sound and a time, and and again, like I think timing, timing's an interesting master, mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, but uh, it was. It was interesting. It was a bit of a whirlwind. I think it was. It felt like being in a pop band. And I think because I was younger and I wasn't married at that point, it was very Larry. Yeah. Um, and thankfully I had Jules, who's obviously yeah. I've been with since I was 18 and was, you know, my rock. And, and I had good friends in the business and, and I had you and Rose and, and um, I had mum and dad. So yeah. I felt like safe enough. Man. I did the Naked Chef in my holiday time. Yeah, I mean, I think I worked here until half, uh, until the end of season two. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've still got that Vespa. Do you know he got nicked, and um, I ended up buying my own Vespa back off eBay, off of a friend of a friend of a criminal. Yeah, I've still got it. Still use it. It just makes a slightly different sound going up the hill than it used to. <laughs> slightly more strained. <laughs> if you like listening to Ruthie's Table 4, would you please make sure to rate and review the podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. 
I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I once saw an interview with, um, a great interview, Michael Parkinson, with George Best and Beckham. And George Best talked about the difference between his vulnerability when he became, you know, a huge figure and, and, and he had no one. There was no one. He went from being a kid kicking a ball to being somebody that was followed by paparazzi and given deals. And, yeah. and now when you think, you know, the, the kind of surround that you have of agents and yeah. PR and it's a very, you know, I think what I did level. quite well, for, uh, but only through naivety, naivety and, and passion, I guess, is I looked after myself pretty early. I had an agent for a bit. And she was fantastic, but like I knew she had many people, and I knew I was one of many. So I sort of started the production company. We didn't know what we were doing early. Employed someone to look after me from like a legal point of view. So I did that. I think that gave me a lot of freedom in the early days. And I think in those early days, you can get eaten out and spat out in about four years quite quickly. And luckily, I always sort of say it was like, um, like. When I set up 15, it was such a beautiful thing and a beautiful premise. So, and and, and, and the, why did you do it? And I said, well, I, I wanted to, I could, and I did. Mm. And it was as simple as that. I was young enough, stupid enough, and able enough mm. to do it. And obviously the scenario of having um, a 24-year-old kid, I'd gone from having no money to having like money in the bank. And I spent all of it on 15, which was a charity. So, so like, off, my dad was so worried about me, he thought I'd lost the plot because he'd never made an easy pound. Mm-hmm. So he was, he thought, he was very concerned. Um, and there was about three weeks when I was theoretically bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily I got... A, Let's talk uh, about 15 because when you say it was a beautiful concept, 
it was. It wasn't just opening a restaurant. It was a, a, a restaurant with values and a kind of philosophy and, a, and an idea of fairness. And yeah. Tell us about... Well, it was... Really, it was kind of like... I think I felt from being that kid that struggled at school, like, is there anything that we could do to kids that have gone off the rail, like, or, or got lost or had problems with the law or, and, and, and even homeless kids? And, and so we set up 15 because the profits from the restaurant would take 15 kids every year and train them for like 16 months. And really, it was a it was a very beautiful blend of the values that I'd learned at the River Cafe with you and, and Rose, mum and dad, and Gennaro. And you could see it. Mm. I mean, it was a very different restaurant, but also you could see the kind of genetics in recipes of the River Cafe and Gennaro and mum and dad. And, and really, um, ma- mainly for you guys, we took these kids on trips around sourcing from farmers and, you know, look, some of these kids were like drug dealers and, and fraudsters and, you know, and we take them to catch wild salmon. Hmm. And then we'd get a farm salmon and a wild salmon and we'd do an autopsy and show the difference. And like seeing is believing and, and you start to get their wonder. And, and they're like, okay, so you haven't won them over yet, but then you do that with pork and then you do that with foraging and then you do that with olive oil. And slowly but surely, about nine months in, the consistency, and I think that's one of the things I learned about lots of the things mm. I love and people that we love is mm. consistency like of how a person is, how they dress, how they look after their yard or whatever it might be and their product I think for these young kids, they had most of them got in trouble with the law because they had no consistency. Mm. And through 15 and, and the things that inspired me, we tried to... And we, we, we graduated over 80% every year. Mm. And for context, that's the complete opposite of the government when they mm. rehabilitate young mm. offenders. Yeah. Um, so they do about 25. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, we did that for 17 years until sadly it closed. But um, it also shows, I think back to food you know that what you can what food can do how food can be um you know a, a generator of of fairness so as you were talking about 15 and taking these kids around i was thinking well is there something that could be a catalyst as strong as food to to motivate people to taste to experiment to commit to learn and i think you know i think well maybe i mean would you, as a fat, you know, a tailor trying to pe- teach people to make suits or mm. you know, a doctor trying to, you know, to get people healthy, all those professions. But there is something about food which is I so compelling. So. And I think can- if you did a broad strokes analysis of all those young people that got in trouble um, in their life or with the law, um, like what's beautiful about cooking is, you know, even on a bad day, Mm. There's still, I, I always mm. see it like little jiffy bubbles, mm. you know, like it's mm. not just a bad day. Like mm. there's still three or four positive bubbles of something you've learned that mm. day. Mm. So do you know what I mean? I and do. I think that's what's so nice about cooking. And, and and then at the end of the year, you've got all these bubbles that you've learned. And, yeah. and, and then it's like, oh, okay. So obviously from what we'd learned at the River Cafe, we would sit down and write menus every day. Mm. And that was, and still is rare. Um, but they kind of the, the young people would learn about food more from the debate about oh should we could we is that right is that wrong and and, and so that was a very powerful experience for me and and to be honest until then I'd never 
been political. I'd never been a campaigner. I'd never had deep-seated feelings about what was right or wrong about I think ac- maybe you did. I think you probably did. Don't you? I, had, I, I think you probably did. I don't feel that... I mean, politics I, is politics, but your values and your fairness and... I think they were there. Kind of way, they were there, were there, but I think the idea of having a voice or expressing mm-hmm. them or using a platform mm-hmm. to amplify stories that had to be told... I didn't really, I don't feel like I'd learned that until 15. And as I got to know their stories, and, and like when you talk to young kids about life of crime, it's so frightening and so sad and it's so hopeless. And you kind of get down to sort of nuts and bolts like, you know, um, uh, mums and dads that couldn't afford to feed them and how like a free school lunch was important. Mm. You know, and like it was the only hot meal of the day. And you hear it sometimes mentioned, but when you meet it, when you see it and and you might have like, you know, a lot of our students could handle themselves because they've been through such traumatic lives. But yet they were still grateful for the hot yeah, school lunch and, and to be that free school lunch kid and the baggage that goes with it. Mm. Uh, and, and of course, that I started to realise then because roughly around the same time, there seemed to be a lot of press around how bad school lunches were. So I kind of then went on to that. And in the next episode, we're going to talk more about Jamie's school meals campaign. We'll also head back into the kitchen with Jamie to make a classic River Cafe recipe. The River Cafe Lookbook is now available in bookshops and online. It has over 100 recipes beautifully illustrated with photographs from the renowned photographer Matthew Donaldson. The book has 50 delicious and easy to prepare recipes, including a host of River Cafe classics that have been specially adapted for new cooks. The River Cafe Lookbook, recipes for cooks of all ages. Ruthie's Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomai Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.